There's no such thing as a dumb question when it comes to insurance because it's very technical, it's very detailed, and a lot of people spend a lot of time learning the nitty gritty. And their job is to explain it to you. Remember, when you buy an insurance policy, you're buying a promise. It's a mm -hmm. promise that when bad things happen, that they will try to make you whole, to indemnify you. Know what the levels are about what will make that whole and and what the exclusions are so that you know what you're paying for. It's your money. Know the product that you're purchasing. Hi, everyone. You're listening to the Child and Nature Alliance of Canada podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Shirlene Aloria, and I'm the communications coordinator here at CNAC. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, please check out our website at www.childnature.ca. I'm joined here today by Michael Law, with nearly 30 years of experience in the insurance industry, Mike has progressed throughout his career to his current role as Vice President Specialty Programs and Associations with Frank Cowan Company. He specializes in people helping people and the not-for-profit world. Today, Mike and I will be talking about Forest School and insurance. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me here today on the Child and Nature Alliance of Canada podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, Charlene. I'm doing really well, thank you. It's been a good week, and I've been looking forward to doing this podcast with you. Thanks well, for having me on. Thanks. Thanks for, for agreeing to jump on with us. We're really glad to have you here um, and to really get deep or as deep as we can into the topic of insurance and how it relates to the forest school sector and, you know, nature-based programs. So um, I am going to start this off with a little disclaimer about myself. I know next to nothing <laughs> about insurance. Um, so please feel free to, uh, you know, provide examples or ways to explain things that maybe someone who's new to this, to this sector might be able to understand them. Um, not going to assume that people, folks listening at home uh, are in the same boat, but this, that's probably just for my understanding. No problem, Shirley. And if um, I'm not being as clear as I should, please feel free to ask additional questions. Will do, thanks. All right, so navigating the world of insurance. Um, for me, it seems a little daunting. Is navigating or is insuring a forest school a difficult process? Um, it depends if you're prepared. Um, if you're able to tell your story and, um, and tell your insurance underwriters and your broker what you're doing and how you're keeping people safe, it should be very easy for you to get insurance. You have the RBAP, which is the risk management guideline that's already on your website and available to your practitioners. And if you're following that, it's going to be really easy for you to get it, assuming that you're, you've got the right story to tell. Uh, the only time I've seen operations that are having trouble in finding coverage are those who are calling on a Thursday and saying that they need coverage for tomorrow um, for some event or trip that they're doing or for those who don't tell their full story. So for example, uh, I can go onto Amazon and I can make a pretty quick order for Christmas stuff. After this podcast, I intend to do that to get my wife's Christmas uh, present. But insurance isn't like that. We're very much in the older technology. So we will need a little more time. Other stories that I've heard would be that we're told that someone's going out on a trip to some lake in the middle of nowhere, bringing six kids, and they're looking for insurance. That's not going to spark your underwriter's attention. 
What will is when you say it's a canoe trip, there's three canoes. We've got a licensed lifeguard in each of the two outer canoes, and we've got the strongest swimmers in the middle canoe with the weakest swimmers in with the lifeguards. Those are two different stories, and that story will help you get your insurance. Yeah, thanks so much. I was actually wondering um, if you could explain a little bit more about what you meant by telling your whole story. So for, let's say I was looking for insurance to, for my forest school, how would I best do that to help you understand my situation and what I need covered? Oh, that's a brilliant question. Thank you. What you want to do is you want to tell the insurance company what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're keeping everyone protected. You want to paint a picture to the underwriters so that they're thinking about what exactly their exposure is when they put their million dollars or $5 million or whatever the magical number of their capital on the line for. The more detail that you give them, showing that we know what we're doing and we're going to do this in a safe way, the more comfort level they have, and the faster they'll respond to you and the better the pricing and terms will be that you'll get from your insurance company. Great, thank you so much. So, so what types of things should I prepare beforehand? I would prepare uh, by looking at the RBAT. Okay. I would uh, review that and make sure that I was following all those guidelines. If you're actually telling an insurance company that you're following the guidelines in the RBAT, which full disclosure, Frank Cowan company personnel, Barb Schichta, our vice president of risk management helped to author, that tells a really complete story about some of the risk management guidelines that you're doing. I would tell, I would prepare to tell my story or email it or put in the submission of here's the program that I'm doing. Here are the details of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Uh, for example, I was touring a, a forest school that I'm familiar with in Ottawa and they took me for a trip and went out to the yurt and I looked over at, at the uh, wood stove that they had in it. I said, wow, that looks certifiable. You could get that wet certified. It is to code. That is different telling an underwriter that you've got the yurt with a wood stove that's certified versus I have a yurt with a wood stove. On the way to the yurt, we went through this path and uh, we were all held hands and we were making, they called it a snake. And we were doing that to make sure none of the kids actually reached down and touched the poison ivy because it was poison ivy near, near the trail. I thought that was great risk management. What they didn't tell me and I saw on the trail was they put a sign in front of the poison ivy, identifying it, this is poison ivy, don't touch. But that way that the, the children could learn this is what it looks like and, and why you don't wanna to touch it while keeping them safe, holding hands. You wanna tell the underwriter that part of the story rather than you're taking them just in the forest in an area where there might be poison ivy or people might worry about that. Those are the different stories that you can tell that show your underwriter how much thought you put into this and how safe your entire program is going to be. Yeah, that's that makes so much sense. So what I'm hearing from you is that this requires like some time to sit down with your staff and really think through the risks that are available and how you will keep children safe. Is that correct? Like this is not something you can do in a night. Correct. This is something you don't want to do in a night because if you do it in a night, you're going to rush it and you won't be giving the best story that's out there. I would say take some time, talk to your team, and I'd do it over a couple of sessions so you have the opportunity to come back at it and think, what more have I thought about since we first talked about it that I can tell someone?
And so what are the types of insurance that Forest and Nature School operators should look out for? If I was a Forest and Nature School operator, I would want to have some property insurance coverage, and that would cover the yurt or the other property that you have out there. Um, it might not be high in value, but it certainly will make life difficult if you lose it. You can also get business interruption coverage, which will cover you if there's physical loss to that property that you've got, and I'd look into that. It's important to note business interruption does not cover things that are not physical in nature. So the fire will be covered if, uh, if your property is flooded, business interruption will be covered. But if you have a contagion or a pandemic, that would not be covered. I would look for liability, including abuse. And liability is when you're responsible for negligence. Someone has done something they shouldn't have or did not do something that they did. And then someone got hurt. They either suffered a bodily injury or someone else's property got damaged. Abuse is a very specialized form of that. And that's what you want to use when when you've got the vulnerable, in this case, children. And it protects you if your organization, if it's alleged that they've allowed abuse to happen to one of the children in your care, and this will help to defend you against that. So I would certainly get that. If you've got uh, directors and officers, I would get directors and officers liability coverage too. You are personally liable as a director for all, in, for all companies in Canada. I am on the board of a not-for-profit myself, and that was one of the questions I asked before I joined. What is our directors and officers liability? Because as much as I want to help out the not-for-profit, I don't want to explain to my wife why we're getting sued personally for something that's happening. Legal expense is another one that I would suggest for a not-for-profit. And the reason for that is abuse policies tend to be policies of negligence. So if someone is actually accused of, of abuse, you would not actually have coverage for the actual alleged perpetrator unless there's a criminal reimbursement clause built into that. So by having legal expense, you can actually have an insurance policy fund the expense for failure to uh, follow a provincial statute or for the criminal code of Canada. So if, God forbid, a volunteer gets accused of abuse and they didn't do it, they don't have to put up thousands of dollars to mount their defense to prove that everything's okay. You can get an insurance policy to cover that. Great. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks. That's a really great way to explain all these different things, and um, I'm sure it'll be really helpful to those folks listening at home. And so tell me if this is... I don't think I don't believe that there are dumb questions, but when I'm looking at, you know, like you have $1 million in insurance, $5 million in insurance, what does that actually mean? What, what is that? Yeah, what does that even cover? Uh, perfect. If we're talking about liability insurance, which I think you are, what that covers is up to a million dollars for each occurrence or up to $5 million for each occurrence. And an occurrence is defined as when someone actually sues you. There's also going to be an aggregate limit, which is the most an insurance company will pay out in any given policy term, which is typically a year. So if you've got a million dollars coverage, it tends to cover you for your defense costs and then for compensatory damages if you actually lose the case. So compensatory damages could be what's called special damages, which would be out-of-pocket medical expenses. So say someone is found negligent because they didn't clear 
the parking lot of a forest school and salted and someone fell and they broke their hip. So it would pay for medical bills there. There's also general damages, which is another part of compensatory damages. And what that means is it will pay for compensatory damages that are a little harder to quantify. Typically a judge will do that. Okay. That could be loss of future earnings. That could be pain and suffering for, in my example, the poor person just had their hip hurt and things of that nature. So that's what it would cover on the liability side. We would be kind of remiss to, talk, to not have this conversation and talk about how COVID-19 plays into all of this. It's still our current reality. Um, and so what are some of the challenges posed by COVID regarding insurance for forest school operators? Well, I think right off the top, I think forest school operators and insurers have some similar issues there. And that's the changing nature of government regulations and requirements. We've been on a roller coaster, all of us together in this country since the sure start. Have. <laughs> yep, since the start of COVID. And the things we're supposed to do is evolve. So how does that help or hinder you? It helps and hinders because you're getting insurance for liability for negligence. And what is negligence in a pandemic? In a world where everything is changing, am I being negligent if I am changing along with government regulations? No, it's just probably not. But it's important to document that you're watching the changing government directives and that you're doing everything that you can. At the end of the day, my personal opinion, not the company's or anyone else's, is that for much of COVID-19, you're going to see that the, um, the threshold of care that the courts are going to use will be leaning more towards gross negligence. That's when you are being reckless, as opposed to, I'm doing everything I can and this happened. So that's what I think you're going to see there. Further, you've got government um, influence because the government doesn't want everything to shut down, in particular for nonprofits who are helping the vulnerable. And so you have limited immunity legislation or directives in three provinces now, in British Columbia, Ontario, and Nova Scotia. And that looks like it's going to move the threshold again towards gross negligence. But of course, you can still be sued. Anyone can be sued over anything. And the question is, what will people, what will the court determine is regular negligence versus gross negligence versus something that you've got immunity on? And that's all that we're going to be watching going forward. That actually brings me to my, my next section on, yes, the, uh, on COVID. Um, insurance, what's happening there? So insurance has got some heavy losses um, internationally led by Lloyds of London, who is on record for over $6 billion in COVID losses, largely through event cancellation and other pandemic type insurance. When you couple this with interest rates that are near zero, you have insurance companies that are worried about losing lots of money and not able to make up money on the investment side. That in part is driving our hard market right now, which is changing pricing and increasing pricing, but it's also being driven by climate change. But I'm gonna come back to climate change a little later. Let me carry on with the COVID. So what you're seeing is led by Lloyds of London. There are some new exclusions that are coming in. On property, there's a virus or bacteria exclusion that I'm seeing. 
and that's in Canada, that's more of a clarification that business interruption is only triggered by physical loss to your property. Unless, of course, you specifically bought some form of contagion insurance. It's, it was available. It's not really available now based on COVID, but it was expensive and only a couple of markets were providing it. Of concern, though, are the new liability and casualty exclusions. So these might cause some pain. What it means is if you've got um, a communicable disease exclusion, and I've seen that out in the marketplace, that would exclude all, all losses that you are found negligent for, for all communicable diseases. So that could include COVID, include SARS, MSRA. Frankly, it might even include the uh, common cold or the runny nose. There's a second group of exclusions that I've also seen called the communicable disease outbreak exclusion. And what this does is it will exclude losses caused by negligence from declared outbreaks, of which COVID-19 would be one, and it would also exclude other outbreaks. So there's a new outbreak of SARS or MSRA or something like that that would be excluded. But your standard illnesses and communicable diseases would not be picked up in that particular exclusion. At Frank Cowan Company, um, our current plan as of today for forest schools is we're not putting on some of these casualty exclusions. Now, I also wanted to mention that the casualty exclusions comes in different areas. So liability would be for your operation, and that would be an exclusion if you are negligent for bodily injury or property damage caused by a communicable disease. But the one I would pay attention to is directors and officers. Because remember, as a director or officer, you are personally liable. So you want to be aware if there's an exclusion on your directors and officers that makes you personally liable. Mm -hmm. If there's um, a communicable disease outbreak exclusion or a communicable disease exclusion. Thanks so much. And you mentioned climate change. Where were you going with that? Uh, with climate change, that's also driving the insurance marketplace. Um, in the last decade, we have had um, more large losses due to climate change than in previous recorded history almost. You've got a number of our top 10 ex most expensive losses happening recently, and it's being driven by climate change. In 2020, you're looking at a large hailstorm in Calgary, which was very localized but caused a lot of damage. You've also got Fort McMurray that a few years ago was hit with the most expensive loss in Canadian history. And then they got hit again with a flood when ice was building up on the river. So all these things are costing a lot of money to pay out in, mm -hmm. in claims. And that also drives um, pricing increases. Right. I'm actually currently in Fort McMurray. I didn't know if you knew that. Um, oh, I didn't. How are things there? <laughs> you know, they're going great. It's pretty quiet here. I'm originally from Ottawa and moved here because of uh, a partner's job here in Fort McMurray. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I used to be based in Ontario, but now I'm here loving it so far. <laughs> Perfect. I've never been to Fort McMurray, but I, I certainly have heard great things about it from people who I know. So that's awesome. <laughs> It's a, yeah, it's, it's a really nice area. Um, did some camping. I'm loving it here in Alberta. So you mentioned something that I think we should, if you don't mind, I think we should go back on a little bit. You mentioned the importance of just like documenting what you're doing during COVID. Why is that so important? 
It's important because if someone actually sues you for negligence and takes you to court, they're going to say that you didn't do things that came up to the standard of care. And in the court, it's not what you say to the court that matters. It's what you can prove to the court that matters. Right. So if I go to court and I say, but I was changing on the, as the government guidelines were changing and the plaintiff's lawyer says, no, you weren't. It's better to have actual documents that say, on March 17th, here's what we did. On April 15th, here's what we did. And you have it in document. You have it in writing that these are the actual things that we're doing. And it builds your case that you're using reasonable care to try your best in a tough situation. Documentation is critical. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of what was brought up during the COVID webinar earlier this year that you participated in and um, having a separate informed consent form for COVID that you can rely on where you, you're being very clear with the parents of the, the children in your care about what you're doing during the pandemic to keep them safe. Oh, absolutely. That's a fantastic idea because right there, you've got parents who are signing off on everything that you're doing. So they are agreeing that it's reasonable and it's tough for them to come back later and say it was not. That's a great idea. Great. And so uh, Mike, could you talk a little bit about the importance of knowing your insurance coverage? Yes. It's important to know what you're covered for because the, the worst time to find out what you are covered for and not covered for is when you have a claim. Right. You want to know before the claim happens, here's where my coverage is, here's how much it's for, and what's going to happen should something bad happen. You really want to spend the time with your broker to go over your policy and ask questions make sure you have a, a robust understanding of what will be covered and what will not be covered. Great. So it's really just don't be afraid to ask questions and really get to know what you're covered for. And that way, when the time comes, if the time ever comes, um, you, you know what you're protected for. Very true. There's no such thing as a dumb question when it comes to insurance because it's very technical. It's very detailed. And a lot of people spend a lot of time learning the nitty gritty. And their job is to explain it to you. Remember, when you buy an insurance policy, you're buying a promise. It's a mm -hmm. promise that when bad things happen, that they will try to make you whole, to indemnify you. Know what the levels are about what will make that whole and, and what the exclusions are so that you know what you're paying for. It's your money. Know the product that you're purchasing. All right, Mike. So my other question is, is that I'm hearing from our practitioners that they're experiencing some increases in their insurance. How might you explain this? Great question. There's a couple of reasons for this. And on the loss side, the reason there's a hard market, which is driving some of those increases, is because there's a lot of losses out there. We're seeing climate change and the trajectory on losses is looking really unpleasant there. Uh, whether you've got floods, in Fort McMurray or hailstorms in Calgary or all kinds of different climate losses that you've seen over the years, those are all adding up. On the other side, you're seeing investment rates at near zero. And what that does is it means that insurance companies aren't making the kind of returns on their investments that they have previously. In order for shareholders to actually want to hold shares in an insurance company, they need to make some money back. So typically, you pay your premium for commercial policies, typically up front, 
and that money becomes kind of like a float and is invested in different areas. So even if the full thousand dollars was used up at the end of the day, historically, the investments would carry some return for shareholders on top of that. So in addition to that, there are interest rates which are near record levels at zero. So typically the premium that you pay, say a thousand dollars upfront for a commercial policy is then turned around and reinvested. But with interest rates near zero, it's tough to make money on that. And so an insurance company has to do better. They have to make more money and reduce the number of claims they have a ticket on that side. Lloyd's themselves are predicting um, a W-shaped economy. And last I saw, they thought that the losses on the investment side for the balance sheets of all insurers worldwide would be around US $100 billion. It's a big number. And so that is also helping to drive the price increases. As we all get insurance from different reinsurers who are based worldwide. Right. Great, thank you. And so Mike, is there anything else you would like to add for our listeners at home? It could be about this or anything we touched on earlier. Well, thank you, I appreciate that. Um, I would just like to add a message of hope. We're all in this together and we're all going to see the end of the pandemic and we will go into our new normal. But the work that all the practitioners are doing and from the places I visited is exceptional. And it's helping to build uh, tomorrow's generation of, of people. I think it's fantastic. And I wanted to thank everyone for all the work that they're doing and commend them for it too. And thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for joining us. If folks out there have any other questions for you, how might they reach out to you? Um, those folks can reach out to their broker who can give them some detailed advice on their situation. Or if they don't have a broker that they want to talk to, they can reach me at uh, michael.law, M-I-C-H-A-E-L dot L-O-U-G-H at frankcowan.com. F-R-A-N-K-C-O-W-A-N uh, dot com. I'd be delighted to chat with them. Thanks so much, Mike, for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that's all for today's episode. I hope you found our conversation helpful. More resources, such as the Risk Benefit Assessment Toolkit, can be found on our website at www.childnature.ca. Thank you so much to Mike for joining us and for all of you listening at home. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe because we've got more great guests coming your way. This is Shirlene Aloria for the Child and Nature Alliance podcast, signing off.